0: Impact Hustlers, the podcast on entrepreneurs and changemakers that are creating solutions to the world's biggest problems. Impact Hustlers is brought to you by Waira UK, part of Telefonica Open Future. Visit waira.co.uk to learn how our acceleration programs can help your startup grow. And this is your host, Michael Shafrat. On today's episode, I'm talking to Charles Wild, CEO and founder of Zish. Charles is a former Google product manager and investor and started Zish in 2014 to help teachers personalize their teaching by quickly assessing students' knowledge and recommending apps and resources that would help their students learn faster and better. Today, Zish is being used by 145,000 teachers across 170 countries and has helped over 2 million students receive. More tailored education. As we speak, Zish is raising uh, funding on CrowdCube, uh, which is already overfunded. And it's a great pleasure to have you on the show, Shots.
1: Well, thank you very much for having me.
0: This episode is very close to my heart. Like the education system has been very close to my heart. I've been in the in the early years of school, I've been a good student, but very soon I lost interest because I felt it wasn't relevant to me. It wasn't really relevant what I wanted to learn or what I was curious about. So it's very close to my heart to see companies uh, innovate on that, respect, and make education more tailored and really look more at the individual students rather than. What we know otherwise, an educational system which looks much more like the industrial revolution system of putting a standardized curriculum, forcing it in, into my brain. Right. So, talk us a bit through. How you are looking to revolutionise the education system, or how your approach is to education for the twenty first century?
1: Sure. So, uh, th- yeah, that's a that's a great way to kick it off, isn't it? The um, yeah, really, education, classroom education hasn't changed in in, in two hundred years. You know, from the Victorian times, um, and and I think most people with a sort of technology background would say that technology should be playing an important part in really transforming the way we learn. Um. I, I, um. And of course, it hasn't yet. And what I what I, what I I sometimes talk about is, you know, the first generation of education technology really just digitized, you know, what was already there, you know, you would take a book and maybe make it interactive, or you would, you know, instead of doing a pen and paper test, you turn it into an online test and set it for homework. Um, and the reality is that really hasn't changed the way people teach or the way children learn. Um, and as a result, unsurprisingly, you know, the children's rate of learning and achievement hasn't really improved you know um but surely technology should be able to, to to solve that problem so the second generation of education technology i think is looking much more at that how do we actually change the way in the processes of learning and teaching to make it more effective a lot of the stuff out there is really focused on individual students and learning but we decided to look at the teacher right how how we can help the teacher be a much more effective teacher and actually teachers have a real challenge every single teacher that teaches a class has a real challenge it's really really hard for them to know exactly what state of learning each student is and, and your typical secondary school teacher would teach 200 students in, in, in a single week or, or more um, how on earth can they stay on top of each student's individual current level of knowledge and it's changing by the minutes as they're in the classroom and learning right that, that's kind of impossible the software can solve a problem software can, can can be on top of it but then the second problem is even if you did know exactly where each of those individual students were in a, their rate of, in the stage of learning how do you know which of the literally millions of resources and applications out there in the real world is going to be the best one to help them progress fastest you know that's impossible too because there's no way you as a teacher has, has, your, has the time to go out and research all that so we basically build a system to solve those two problems we have a uh, a fun classroom quiz game which teachers can run in five ten minutes at the end or beginning of a lesson to quickly get a reading of all their students Um, uh, and they can also set it for homework so you can continue to get those readings at homeworks and then what we do is we allow the teacher to assign resources it could be a youtube video could be a pdf could be uh, a mobile application to those students we measure how effective they are at helping students learn and then when other students come through with the similar stage of learning we can actually recommend them the resources and applications that our data predicts will have the greatest effect on, on their learning. This is allowing a teacher to personalize their teaching to each student effortlessly. Yeah. Something they're Asked to do by the government, but they just can't physically do because they can't understand every single student's learning stage, and they can't—they don't have the time and uh, to, to be able to personalise those resources, even if they did. And things like this, whether we've got it exactly right or not, but technologies like this have a real opportunity to genuinely transform learning because they're allowing teachers to teach much more effectively in a much more personalised way.
0: You started Zerch motivated by learning struggles that your son had, actually. Initially, um, uh, talk us a bit through those and what kind of challenges you faced when trying to deal with them and help
1: so yeah this all started for me about uh, well, over five years ago when I was um, running a, a big data advertising technology company and I'd leave home at seven thirty in the morning get you know get home at seven thirty p.m at night just in time to kiss my son good night before he went to sleep and I was quite frustrated that I, I couldn't help him with his his learning and if at the weekend i suggested we do some times tables he'd argue with me for half an hour before he realized it was better to spend 10 minutes doing times tables with me than argue for another half hour and he could get back to playing minecraft so i was quite frustrated that i I couldn't help him with his learning and whereas my daughter was doing very well at school my son was actually doing quite badly at school so um you know, I, I really wanted to do something about it. And then one afternoon, I was sitting in the office at 4 p.m. in the afternoon. I got a notification on my phone to say it was my turn to play Song Pop against my daughter. And Song Pop was one of the very first early social mobile games. And, of course, kids love games, right? I thought, well, wouldn't it be great if this was a, a maths app or an English app or a history app? And I was playing it, you know, in, in my office against my children sitting at home. And wouldn't it be great if... It was diagnosing and analysing my children's learning whilst we were playing it. Wouldn't it be great if it was then recommending me these resources and things to help them learn better? And actually, actually, that's a great idea, but why aren't they doing this in school? You know, why aren't teachers using technology like this in school? And so that started me off my journey looking at the, the education technology space. And I realised there was a real opportunity there to build um, a platform Um, Not just a single app, but a platform um, to to really transform learning. And because I'd I'd helped build the the Android platform at Google, um, I only played a small part as a team of 100 people. I was just one (laughs) one small person. But, you know, um, I I could see the the power and impact that platform technology could have and, and, and started down that route. Talk us a bit through how teachers are actually using
0: Zish in school. So what do they do when they start using Zish?
1: Yeah, so um, a a typical teacher... would use it like as follows they'd uh, they'd probably come in uh, they'd probably have a quick search in our marketplace to see if there was a quiz on the very specific curriculum based topic they're teaching if there was they just select it um from from our marketplace um they're all free at the moment we call it a marketplace but everything's free at the moment um or if there wasn't there they use our quiz editor to quickly create one themselves it might take them about 5-10 minutes to create a 5-10 question quiz. Um, they can tag each of those questions with specific learning objectives as well. Um, and then they give it to their students to play in class as a team class game. So while the students are answering questions on their devices, which could be uh, laptops or tablets or even smartphones, uh, on the electronic whiteboard at the front of a class, uh, the kids uh, are, are playing a team basketball game together against the computer. Um, and so it's incredibly engaging for the kids. Um, but off the back of that, in real time, we sort the kids into three buckets so we can tell the teacher, you know, which students are, are struggling most. And the teacher can actually go and talk to those students in real time um, while they're still playing. Right. So, you know, real time uh, intervention. So you're not setting something for homework and having it done three days later and then checking it another three days later and giving feedback into class a week later. It's, you're immediately seeing that data and can immediately do something about it. Another one of our screens takes those curriculum tags and does a bit of analysis uh, around that so that, you know, uh, one child might be doing okay on one area but might be really struggling on another and that allows the teachers to then do things like uh, you know like one teacher in in texas who you know who thinks our technology is the most amazing thing since since sliced bread what she'll do is she'll split the children into four groups and have each of the four groups focus on a different part of the curriculum based on the data that our our, our, our technology um, delivers um, and then the final piece is they can automate the assignments of these follow-up resources so i can say as a teacher that for students who are scoring less than 50% of this quiz, I want them to watch this YouTube video. It could be a Khan Academy video, it could be a different YouTube video, because those students obviously still need some basic learning material. For students scoring 50 to 80%, they can assign them a PDF. Um, and for scoring 80 to 100%, they might give them a link to a website or a mobile app with some extension activity in it. Um, we automate that process for them, um, uh, and, and at the same time, if a teacher has previously used that quiz, we'll tell the teacher about these other resources teachers have used, and we'll also tell them how effective they are, so they can actually just quickly click and use one of these other resources if it's proved to be effective. And this whole process means that a teacher with, with 30 students in a class can very quickly personalize the teaching to each student using the best resources in the world, mm-hmm. and that's in, in, incredibly powerful. The result: um, children at the end of term are scoring eight to ten percent in their standardized end-of-year test scores. Eight to ten percent more, I should say, <laughs> not scoring eight ten mm-hmm. percent, eight to ten percent more um, than they would have done otherwise. So. It's already having a real impact on students' rates of learning. Is there any stories you could share from from students that have struggled um, and were able to really boost their performance and uh, their, their education? Uh, well, I mean, actually, there's a great video on YouTube you can watch of some of our teaching in Round Rock, and um, you know, Tammy talks about and it's my favorite bit of the whole video. And um, as a longer version, which is something like ten minutes, and it's still my favorite bit of the video where she talks about there's this one student who was always failing the test, was completely demoralized, didn't like school. But now he's succeeding. Now he's making progress and he's enjoying school. And, you know, when you see Tammy explaining this, you know, and the reward that she's getting as a teacher, I mean, that, those are the moments I love. So, um, and, you know, they also talk about how some of the children are turning up early to school because they want to come in and play this game. And what was really interesting, actually, the first time um, I met uh, Tammy and Carolina uh, and Rebecca, who are the three teachers at Round Rock, you know, our very first, the very first time that um, I met some teachers who, who, who loved our product, um, you know, towards the end of, 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 our, of our sort of half an hour chat, you know, uh, Carolina goes to me, thank you. You've made teaching fun again. You know, you brought new life into my teaching career. Um and that was a that was a really another massive moment for me as a founder. You know that teaching is a tough profession. You know a lot of teachers, whether in the US or the UK, you know they they've fallen out of love with it um, because it's hard. You know they're expected to do so much. It's, it, it's it's you know it's quite demanding on on you know stats and numbers at the end of the year and so on and performance. So a lot of teachers are leaving the profession, and retention is a real issue. So the fact that we can actually transform a teacher's enjoyment of teaching um, is incredibly powerful. Um, and why, why is it well it's because they're able to actually help children we save them hours of time because the technology saves them hours of time from doing the analysis that they'd have to do manually otherwise um, and they're able to focus their efforts on the children at the right time and the right point and the children are progressing and they're finding you know they're getting that love of teaching back again
0: most funders I talk to uh, in the educational space they really struggle to get into schools at all um, um, not even mentioning selling to schools uh, What's your strategy? You obviously got a really good distribution and people are using uh, your product. How did you get in? Did you pitch to schools? Did you pitch to teachers? Uh, What are some of the best practices you might be able to share um, uh, with founders in the educational space?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, you're absolutely right. I think um, um, selling to schools, education technologies, going to that market, um, it's actually... Well, it's not really hard, actually. It's, it's actually quite easy, right? The trouble is, if you're selling to a school in, in the UK, um, it's not that it's hard, it's that your cost of acquisition for a software product in a UK school is typically around £2,000. You know, if, if you averaged out all your sales and marketing and everything costs um, over the course of a year, and then saw how many schools you'd sell to, it would be around £2,000. And most people will sell their product for, you know, £500, £1,000 a year. Now, actually you know the chances are that school will keep using your product for five to ten years so the return on investment is not that bad to be honest um and sometimes i'll use it even longer but the trouble is if you're a startup you don't have the cash to fund yourself to the scale at which point it becomes that self-fulfilling um business if you get to that point of scale Education technology businesses that sell to schools become cash cows, right? So, for example, MyMaths is used in eighty percent of secondary schools in the UK. You know, the, the the account management team have to do virtually nothing every year. They have to do very little to on on the product, and the sales just renew every 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 year. But so once you're at that point of scale, it's a very profitable business. But because it's you need so much funding to get to that point of scale, and most edtech companies don't get it because the VCs know that it's tough to scale in edtech. So you've got this kind of, you know, um, what, what's you know not a virtuous circle, a downward, you know, an in virtuous circle. It's really hard for UK edtech to get off the ground, um, and that's the problem. Um, but if you were well funded, you and you know, and you had the fund to get to that point of scale, you'd actually do really well. So. Um, the fo- you know, very early on, we realized that selling to UK schools was going to be really tough. Um, and uh, one of the things we decided to do was focus instead on the US school system. And there's one really important difference between the US school system and the UK school system, which is that the US school system has a district system. Right? So your average, the districts are sort of like location based, region based, and the average school district in the United States has seven schools. Um, uh, some of them the biggest one is actually New York City to school district which has a million students mm. so I mean if you manage to sell to New York City district um, you know at $2 per student per year that's a $2 million annual contract right um, very different to selling to a, a, an individual school in the UK so um, so the the, so the market dynamics of selling to schools in the US are far better than selling to schools in the UK so that's one of the things we focused our efforts on, on the US school system the second thing is um how do you get to those district leaders in the first place um you know um and, and and the sort of model we've taken is let's go with the whole freemium model let's have a really great free product that teachers love um and what we do is once they've signed up to our free product we turn them into active users and when they become an active user we say to them great do you, do you like our product um and you know we use uh, net promoter so to get a net pro score and we get a really high net pro score and if they give us a really good score we go fantastic would you recommend it to your district to buy at a districts mm-hmm. level and a lot of them will say yes so then we go will you introduce us to uh, your district leaders mm-hmm. and they do mm-hmm. and so that process um allows us to actually get to start and have those conversations now having said that um it still turns out to be a tough uh, long 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 term sell so you know if you're selling to school districts in the U.S. or schools in the U.K., you know, you, you, you build your pipeline um, in, 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 in Q4, you know, from September through to through December. That's when you're reaching out to schools and districts and, you know, starting all those conversations. They run pilots in, uh, you know, Jan, February, March. Um, they make the buying decisions in, in, in the summer months um, and then they'll pay you in September. So, so, you know, a year's annual cycle, a year's sales cycle but uh if you get good at doing it you know you you get it's actually very very profitable because your your cost of acquisition assuming you have product market fit for 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 a district in the united states will still be around 2 or 3000 pounds but your annual revenue from that district will average around you know um you know five to ten thousand pounds so you know if you keep that district for 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 five years you know your return on investment is is really really good
0: why did you decide to develop tools for teachers that help teachers teach better rather than focus on parents for example which might be might be easier to reach or different is a different audience
1: to reach and you wouldn't depend as much on schools that, that's a really great question i mean i think whichever you know there are various different market segments for education technology there's the k-12 segment which is where we sell to at the moment um the preschool segment you know toddlers um there's uh the um university segment there's the the corporate learning segment um and of course there are there are parents and actually usually that's that that's tied in with the toddler segment but um whichever you go for actually there there are challenges um the um Uh, what in the in the western markets like the uk and the us one of the challenges is that parents expect schools to do a good job whether they do or not is another matter but they expect schools to do a good job Um, and i was looking at a chart the other day that i think showed uk at the bottom of the list um, that 23 percent of parents in the uk spend anything on their children's education Um, privately, right, either by going to a private school or by private tutoring, 23%. If you go to China, it's 93%. In fact, in China, um, 50% of the 300 million uh, school children, K-12 children there, go to after-school learning centers. That's 150 million children in after-school learning centers. Yeah, well, right. We don't even have that. The market doesn't even exist in the UK and the United States, um, and so, and you know that, that same market exists in places like Hong Kong and Singapore and other other, other Asian nations, um, and actually in China. of of school children, so 30 million school children, go to private schools. In the UK, it's 7%, right? I mean, so 10%. I mean, it's crazy for a communist country that 10% of the kids are going to private schools. Now, both the after-school learning centre market and the private school market, paid for by parents, of course, um, are both $100 billion markets in China alone. So... That's a roundabout way of saying selling to parents is a great model if you're selling into Asian markets. Um, But, you know, I actually think if you're selling into Western markets, um, particularly United States, uh, the, the, you know, the schools market is actually a really good one. Um, And actually schools in the United States spend $13.6 billion a year on education technology. Right, mm. So they're spending a lot. If you if you get yourself to a point of scale and traction and become one of the leading players in the market with a product people pay for, you can do exceptionally well in that market.
0: And we see that that is your strategy and obviously that you've early on decided to not only focus on the UK, you mentioned the US, you mentioned, mentioned China, um, you're in 170 countries yeah, used by teachers. Uh, what are the challenges about that approach as well? Because let's say quite early on, you decided to go global. Um, with all the different educational systems, all the different cultures, how do you actually manage manage that and uh, what are some of the roadblocks you're facing?
1: Uh, that's, uh, that's a great question I mean I don't uh, maybe you even noticed I actually published uh, an article on LinkedIn about it uh, th- about yesterday um, it is challenging and I think if you do try and go the global approach like us uh, very early um, it does add overhead and it does make it um, you know you will make slightly so- slower progress in the short term I mean it, you know you do have to do things like build internationalization into your product you know um, it's relatively straightforward to do, but then, you know, whenever you change your product and add new feature, new screens, you know, because our product now is in four different languages, you have to go out and do that, you know, that do all the work again to, 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 to localize it. Um, so, um, yes, you, you need, if you're going to sort of take this kind of global attitude, you do need to be a little bit better funded than if you're just going to do it locally. But I think, I think it's, it's worth it. I think it's, you know, if you're a founder, you know, if you think about your global strategy and you include it in your pitch deck, I think it goes down well because people realize you're thinking globally and you'll find it easier to raise money and you can raise more money and then you can have a, a bit of a global strategy. Um, you do still have to be careful. So, I mean, you can't just, um, you know, n- never go out and set up an office in another country until you're absolutely 100% sure that that's the right thing to do. Many companies and even the companies I've been in the past have done that too early, right? So don't go and set up your US office until you're already selling into the US um, successfully and have got a reason about how to scale and can support the cost of that office. You know, it's, it's easier than you think to, um, you know, start conversations with people around the world. Um, you know, I mean, we started, I won't say which one it was, but we started a conversation with an Asian Ministry of Education um uh, four years ago simply by looking for their email address on 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 their ministry of education website and emailing them and getting a response the next day and the conversation started and two months later we were in their offices pitching to them and and so you know you'd be surprised um you know if you just give it a go and try things start to happen i mean like with china um what what actually happened was the dit um had a, had a trade mission to china um, and they you know we thought it would be great to start looking at china and you could only go on a trade mission if you had a chinese version of your product so we spent the next three weeks making a chinese version of our product so we had a chinese version of product um i actually never got to go on the mission because i got to bangkok and they wouldn't let me on the plane because a corner of my passport w- w- was torn and um, so i never actually got to go on that mission and, and, and benefit from that but we then had a Chinese version of our products and other people, we started having conversations with other people. And we started to meet other people related to the Chinese market. And before we know- knew it, we were in China again, and we were having conversations with VCs in China. And one thing led to another. So, um, you know, once you start thinking about it and trying to do things you know you just slowly build your network and things start to happen um and it's just by virtue of of trying really um some things work and some things don't so you know things can be very serendipitous but if 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 these serendipitous things happen because you try lots of different things and some of them start to start to work
0: I want to talk a bit about long-term vision and how you're looking really to shape uh, the educational system and change people's lives and kids' lives uh, while they're learning. Think about the next ten years. What sort of impact are you looking to make with uh, Zish?
1: Well, so I mean, um, that's a really great question. The the I mean, there's two ways I can answer it, and the, the first way is, is is a very simple way, which is that you know we really think that we would like to get to the point where half the world's school children are, are, are using our technology, you know, so 500 million school children. Um, but that doesn't really talk about impact. I mean, I think, you know, what what we believe is that technology can have a, have a massive impact on learning. Now, a lot of what we, we were talking about earlier was about the impact it can have in first world countries where, you know, teaching is already reasonably good and children um, get to go to school and everything. Um, but um, in many countries around the world, students don't get to go to school um unicef uh say that i think it's 264 million children don't get the opportunity of a school education around the world and that's crazy right that, that's crazy if you think about it in the modern world um irrespective of the technology how can a quarter of the world's children not have the opportunity of going to school um and actually building schools is not the fundamental problem actually the fundamental problem um is a uh, lack of trained teachers right? So there's a massive shortage of lack of trained teachers in any country in the world. But when you go to places like sub-Saharan Africa, of course, it, 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 it's, it, it's, it's magnified. And so, you know, part of the way we think of our software is, well, actually, it's a virtual teaching assistant, right? It, um, it's like having another teacher in the classroom that knows each of your students in, in really great detail, but has also been in a million other classrooms around the world and know, what, know what's work. And then, because it can do the hard work of analyzing and recommending and finding the right resources, you don't need a teacher who is a real expert subject matter. All you actually need is a smart person who knows how to organize a classroom and, uh, you know, help the children when they get stuck and do things, right? So, you could actually have, you know, our software combined with a smart person um, and, and help the children still still learn effectively. So, I think, you know, there's that we we can have an impact on multiple at uh, multiple levels, um, and actually, when I started out this business, I, I used to say, you know, that our job is not done until a five-year-old child in the Philippines can pick up a smartphone, and twenty years later be a brain surgeon or a rocket science or whatever they want to be, um, uh, and, and that opportunity is the same for everybody around the world. Um, and so it's kind of like, you know, just by chance, we happen to be now, you know, working with the Philippines Ministry of Education and. You know, it's just super exciting for us that, you know, you know, if, if things continue to progress with them, that, that we could be really transforming the education system in the Philippines and helping those, you know, five-year-olds actually become rocket scientists or brain surgeons in the future. I mean, wouldn't that be amazing, you know? So, um, yeah, that's our aspiration, yeah. Um, and, um, I, you know, I see no reason why we shouldn't succeed at it. Um, Ten years seems like a good time frame for, to, to, to do it in to me.
0: I wish you all the best on that journey. Uh, thanks very much for joining me today and all the best for that mission. Thank you so much. Thank you. This was Impact Hustlers. Impact Hustlers right. is brought to you by Wyra UK, part of Telefonica Open Future. Learn more about Wyra on www.waira.co.uk. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share the episode, leave us a review and consider becoming a supporter on buymeacoffee.com slash impact hustlers. This means a lot to me. Thank you very much for tuning in and see you next time. Bye.